It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to Celebrity Exercise and Diet Secrets. We discuss how celebrities stay in shape and more. So let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Today we have a great guest. I can't wait. This is a, one of my favorite books, to tell you the truth. It was such a great surprise. Sometimes you don't know. You pick up a book because it looks interesting and you read it. And I found it to be really a great read. And it's, the book is called The Big Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. The author, his name is Nina Teicholz, and she's going to be talking to us all about this. So I can't wait. What is fat all about? So before we get started, hopefully you join us in our journey as we try to understand the world one video at a time. Hit that little notification bell on the right side so you can get alerted of all these interviews. And let's get started. Welcome, Nina. Thank you for coming Hi. to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. And again, I'm not saying this because you're on the show. I really did enjoy the book quite a bit. It was a fascinating sure. read the way you did it. Um, tell us first off, everybody always wants to know what motivated you to write up this book? Well, um, it's funny, I really wasn't actually going to write a book on dietary fat. So my book is all about, you know, is fat good for you, bad for you, what kind of fat, non-fat, low fat, you know, all the, we've as a nation obsessed about fat, probably more than anything else that we eat. And, um, and it's a, I didn't know it was going to be such a fascinating topic. I actually got interested in the subject of trans fats. Remember those in the early 2000s, um, because I was assigned a story by a magazine editor to write on those. And this kind of pulled me into this world where all of a sudden I found myself interviewing scientists whom I would call up about trans fats, but they would, they're like, well, if you're going to start talking about other kinds of fat, then, you know, if you, and the idea that fat could not be, you know, could be good for health, it wasn't bad for health. They would, they said, then I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang up the phone on you. Or they would, um, I heard stories about somebody whose paper had been yanked from a journal by a margarine industry um, 
uh, a scientist who had, or, or, or somebody who had been visited by the margarine industry by three sort of people from the industries telling her that she wasn't allowed to write on this subject. And I started to think, what am I, what am I researching here? This is a crazy world that I thought, you know, I thought science was sort of disciplined and measured and sober-minded. And, and what I was finding was this kind of wild west of, of science. So this really just sent me down the rabbit hole on, um, on the issue of fat and dietary fat. I started writing a book about trans fats. I ended up almost a decade later producing a book that was really about saturated fats, how we got it wrong on saturated fats. That's the reason you know, saturated fats are in, um, in dairy and in red meat, but also coconut oil. And, and that's the reason that we don't, we think those foods are bad for health. And, and so I ended up writing this book, like, well, how do we come to that idea? Why do we believe that to be true? Um, because everything that I had grown up believing avoiding butter, myself being a vegetarian, not eating red meat. I thought, you know, all of that turned out not to be true upon inspection. So, so, you know, I'm a journalist by training. I have been a journalist for years before doing this and I came to it without any preconceptions and just started looking at the science and realized so much of what we believe to be true on this subject really just did not hold up to scrutiny. That's the amazing thing in the book, folks, I'm telling you right now in the book, she really breaks that down. She does a good job of showing you the type of studies they use, but also the tricks that sometimes can be found in studies. Uh, she found out that uh, people can manipulate things. They can frame things in certain ways, even in studies, as much as um, you shouldn't. They do that. But let me go back a little bit. And we talk about saturated fat and you talked about meat and butter and those items, it's always fun, funny to me because, because you don't hear much complaints, at least I don't, about other items of food out there that are bad for you, right? The processed foods and all these things, which you also alluded to in your book. Uh, a lot of times we hear about, oh, meat is terrible for you. Meat is bad for colon cancer. This is bad for this, cholesterol for eggs. And somehow we skip Lucky Charms, no offense to them. We skip to a lot of other foods and we just bypass. <laughs> Things like, oh yeah, maybe they, they think we should know already that they're bad. I don't know. What's your take on that? You know, that's such a good point because, um, you know, how do we come to, I mean, how do we come to believe that these foods that are ancient, that go back to the beginning of time? I mean, if you go and visit the Parthenon, you know, in, in Athens, Greece, what are those, you know, those, those sculptures across the top of the temple that they have in the museum are people taking their livestock to, you know, uh, to sacrifice and, and their old, old, um, you know, paintings of ancient Egyptians making cheese and, and milking cows. And I mean, all of these are ancient foods. How do we come to believe that those were bad for us? And whereas these newfangled foods that came along really in the early part of the mid part of the 20th century, you know, blueberry crisp chicks and Pringles and whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever, like granola bars. And I mean, all these things that we now think are far healthier and we live on. Um, like, how did we get hoodwinked that way? That to believe that these foods, that it was much better to decline the steak and instead eat, you know, enriched, refined, bleached, white flour pasta instead. I mean, why is that, you know, which is, um, has no minerals or vitamins in it other than what is put in there artificially. So, 
it's 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 an amazing story that we all came to believe this and yet i think most people do i mean i certainly did i didn't eat red meat for years i thought butter was evil i you know i i, I avoided i didn't even put any salad dressing on my salads i somehow managed to think that was appealing but um <laughs> you know it really is a story like these things that we hold to be so dearly true in our hearts which we think we know are true um, really go back to a moment in time when uh, in the 1950s, there was, this is the story I tell in my book, but I'll just tell it briefly here for people Please who don't sure. know it. You know, there was this rising tide of heart disease, which had been almost non-existent in the early 1900s, suddenly the number one killer disease in the nation, right? And people were really in a panic. What causes heart disease? In 1955, President Eisenhower has a heart attack and is out of the Oval Office for 10 days. So the whole nation's attention is focused on this issue. There were a number of theories at the really, proffered at the highest levels about, well, what does cause heart disease? One of them was that it was vitamin deficiency. Uh, another one was that there was the rising amount of auto exhaust in the air that was causing, you know, that was, that was somehow um, causing us to, our arteries to clog up. There was this idea, you know, it's the type A personality where you go around yelling at people all day long and then you just, you know, keel over and die from too much anger. Um, but there was this one idea that was put forward by a um, physiologist named Ansel Keys at the University of Minnesota. And his idea was that it was saturated fats and cholesterol. So the cholesterol that you eat. Um, so we're talking about meat and dairy and eggs and they would raise your blood cholesterol. Uh, that's what you get when you go and get your cholesterol tested from your doctor and that and that that would clog your arteries, like, you know, hot oil down a cold stove pipe, your arteries would just fill up, glug, 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 and that would give you a heart attack. And that was called the diet heart hypothesis. And he turned out to be this very influential and um, he had a very domineering and almost overbearing personality. Uh, and he was able to get that idea implanted into the American Heart Association. Um, even though there was almost no evidence at all for this idea. But again, it was a nation in a moment of panic. Think about the moment that we're in now with COVID. Like, like you know, a, a vaccine that might work. Okay, we'll take it. <laughs> um, we're, you know, we're desperate for solutions. And they were, they also, this was the same situation in the, in the 1950s and early 1961. So, 60s. So in 1961, the American Heart Association passes the first ever guidelines anywhere in the world telling people, well, at this point it was just men, to cut back on saturated fat and cholesterol, cut back on meat, cheese, dairy, eggs, shellfish, in order to avoid having a heart attack. That was the first advice anywhere in the world saying that. So that's where it began 60 years ago. And that really just grew into this giant, you know, tree of advice that we have today. Uh, and you know, it, it's, it's a long story to, to kind of break apart, but you know, the idea was tested, the, the, the trials could never show it to be true. They kept on with it. Industries developed around it. Um, foods developed around it. I mean, a whole kind of, um, you know, a set of industry and interests and careers developed around this idea and it just could never be walked back. I mean, we still live with it today for the most part. Um, although it's starting that. to crumble, I would say I can, we can talk about that if you like. 
Oh, absolutely. And I remember reading about that. But before we get to that, folks, again, you can find out more information about Nina at nutritioncoalition.us. And she's going to be talking about a little bit about that later on. Again, nutritioncoalition.us. You can also find more information about her at Nina Teicholz at T-E-I. C-H-O-L-Z dot com. If you like this show, make sure to hit that share button and the like button and help us with the algorithm. We truly would appreciate it. Back to Nina we go. Uh, Nina, that's we've got so much to cover in such a little time because the book covers so many areas. But that's one of the things that surprised me. I don't know why it did because I've seen it before. But the, what surprised me was the headwind with any other scientists that, that, that found contradictory studies. And one of the ones I think you were talking about in those Greek islands, I can't remember what, which, where it was in Greece, where they showed, well, wait a minute. They're saying that lower saturated fat was better for cardiovascular health, but that's not necessarily the whole picture. And some of those scientists were really getting um, squashed in a sense. Yeah. Silence. Go ahead. Yeah, there's sort of two stories there. You know, one is this story of how the, how the science was kind of like, made to fit the story that they wanted it to fit. So what you refer to is these studies uh, on the Greek islands, it was Corfu and Crete, um, but those were actually part of this much bigger study called the seven countries study, which was conducted by that same Ansel Keys I just mentioned. And he really had it in his mind that saturated fat and cholesterol were the culprits. So he went into the study thinking that already. And he really wanted to prove his idea. So he sampled a bunch of um, almost about uh, 13,000 men across Europe and also in the US and Japan. And he looked at the diets of a very small number of them, um, really not a statistically significant sample, which is just one of the problems with that study. But he found uh, it was still a pioneering study. I have to give that to him. I mean, nobody had done anything like this before. But he found, for instance, um, that in Corfu, um, people ate um, quite a bit of saturated fats and had very low rates of heart attack, right? So that didn't quite fit his theory, right? Those people should have been dying of heart attacks. Then he went to Crete, um, another island in Greece, and he found that they ate very low rates of saturated fat um, and had very low rates of heart attack. So what did he do? He decided, I'm going to just um, combine the data in Greece and put it all together in one and ignore the fact that there's this contradiction there. We're, we're, we're going to just report it by country. And we're going to ignore the fact that these two populations really contradict each other. It was the same, he had exactly the same problem in Finland, where the people in the north were, you know, eating a lot of saturated fats and dying at high rates of heart attacks. But the people in the south I might not be remembering this exactly right. So just forgive me. But I mean, it's the idea was that people in the South had the opposite experience. So he combined that into one country data where he didn't have to deal with these contradictions. He did that in several places um, in order to get the result that he wanted. Um, he also, you know, he had done pilot experiments. Um, and, and so he knew it's fair to say that he sort of cherry picked the countries that he even looked at to begin with, because he was going into these countries post-World War II, right? So millions of people had been displaced, food supplies had been displaced. This was not a normal picture of countries at that time. And he knew that in places that had really been ruined by the war, Italy, Greece, Yugoslavia, that, that 
those people had low rates of heart disease and didn't eat a lot of meat and cheese and butter because they had, um, because all their food supplies had been devastated by the war. He did not go into countries like Switzerland, uh, Germany, France, the famous butter eaters in France, where they also had really low rates of heart disease, but were eating a lot of saturated fats um, because he knew that that would not work for his hypothesis. So he just didn't go to those state, those countries. Now, whether he, you know, he never actually wrote that he, how he chose his studies, it wasn't a random sample, but um, so, you know, I could tell you maybe 20 stories that would really make you lose your faith in science <laughs> that are a little bit like this. I mean, there was another study, I'll just tell you one more, which is um, another super big study. This one was actually um, a more rigorous type of study called a clinical trial where they put 9,000 people in um, five, that were in five mental hospitals in Minnesota and they tested them. They actually gave them the food. So half of them were having 18% saturated fat, that's considered pretty high. And then the other people were having 9% saturated fats in their diet. And those people were having like soy filled milk and whatever their equivalent was of the impossible burger. And, you know, they weren't getting, um, they weren't having regular um, meat and cheese. At the end of five and a half years of that experiment, they couldn't find any difference in the rate of death. And even though the people, there was no difference in heart attacks, cardiovascular death, total deaths. Even though these people in the experimental group, they successfully brought down their cholesterol. So they did that successfully, but they still didn't see any positive outcome in terms of their, their ability to survive. That study didn't get published. They decided not to publish the results. Ansel Keys was actually one of the original authors of that study. They only published it 17 years later. And when a journalist much later said, well, why didn't you publish the study? Which by the way, had been funded by the government by the National Institutes of Health. This, this author said, well, there was nothing wrong with the study. We were just so disappointed in the way it came out. So it's like, um, <laughs> I mean, that's not what yeah. you're supposed to do in science. You're supposed to push <laughs> your findings, even if they don't confirm, you know, what might be your, your favorite hypothesis. Um, so this was like the study, this, this sort of the story over and over again with studies they would do that couldn't show anything bad. They, they could never show that saturated fats had any effect on cardiovascular or total mortality. They could show that you could bring down your LDL cholesterol, that's your bad cholesterol, what, well, what we know is the bad cholesterol, but they could never show that that it had any impact in the long term on the things you really care about, which is, am I going to get have a heart attack and die? And so, but those studies were just ignored again and again and again and again. And so one of the things that happened with my book, um, and, and, you know, and others who wrote about this, but, but um, was that when I came out, and wrote about these studies, scientists started looking at them again. This was like a whole lost literature on saturated fats. That people, the reason we don't, reason we think saturated fats are bad or that nobody's ever studied them is that all these studies that have been conducted but didn't turn out the way people wanted them to, they had just kind of been ignored. Like not included and not cited, not referred to, not, you know, in these, you know, if you do like a review paper or something, these studies weren't mentioned, they weren't in there. So now though, um, 
that's really changed. So there have been now almost 20 review papers going back and looking at wow. these kind of long lost studies from the 1960s and 70s, and they've all concluded we got it wrong on saturated fats. We, we just, we just, you know, there may be some harm from eating sticks of butter. We don't know, but there's, but definitely at the levels at which people normally consume them, there really is no harm. You know, it's interesting. Rob, like about four questions now that I have to ask again, folks, this is Nina Teichholz. The book is called the big fat surprise, why butter, meat and cheese belong in a healthy diet. Fascinating book. Highly recommended. You can get it on amazon.com. And yeah, you know, you brought up, you give, me, give me a lot of ideas here, a lot of uh, questions that pop up in my head. And it's funny when you mentioned some of these things, as I did see this starting to happen. I think you might have seen it too a couple of years ago. All of a sudden they switched and it went from whole milk is actually better than non-fat milk because they stripped too much out of the non-fat milk. And then I saw the shift and I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. Okay, we're going to flip over. And folks, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but uh, about 15, 20 years ago, I was a personal trainer for about nine years. So I did a lot of a lot of work in, in nutrition and fitness. And to me, it's always been the non-fat milk for years. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, something's weird. They're switching on us again here. Um, and then they switched on us too in regards to uh, meat. Now I'm starting to see a shift just like you did. I don't know if you know Dr. Paul Saladino. Mm -hmm. but, uh, we had him on as a guest and he's a big proponent of eating meat. And we're going to probably have him back in January. So I can totally relate to how the movement is shifting. You also mentioned um, people weren't recognizing the studies, but isn't it true that they also had very limited amount of studies in regards to the benefits of saturated fat or at least saturated fat not being as bad for you? Is that true? So the studies that were done back in the 1960s and 70s were done on, on somewhere between 50 and 75,000 people. This is now I'm not I'm not talking about I don't know if people will understand this term, but I'm not talking about observational studies where you follow a group of people. I'm talking about something that's much harder to do called a clinical trial where you actually have to feed people like it's a much harder kind of experiment to do. Those that to do that on tens of thousands of people, that is I think it is fair to say that the that that Ansel Keys's diet heart hypothesis is actually the, if not the most, one of the most well-tested hypotheses in the history of nutrition science. Like, you know, nowadays when when a clinical trial hits the newspapers, they'll say it was a big trial. It was it was you know 150 people or 200 people. I mean, this was 50 to 75,000 people being tested on this idea. So, that's a lot of people. There was. There, there was, and, and these studies did not say, they did not say that saturated fats is necessarily good for you, but they did show that saturated fats cause no harm to you in terms of your cardiovascular, your heart disease outcomes. And I'll tell you something else really interesting about these studies is that the people who reduced their saturated fats did see harm. They saw higher rates of death from cancer consistently in all of these studies they found, or nearly all of them, they found higher rates of death of, from cancer, which they could not explain. They had high level meetings uh, at the National Institutes of Health to try to understand this for a number of years. They could never figure it out. They had higher rates of death from a category where you can't disentangle, but it includes um, suicide and accidental deaths. 
Wow. Why is that? Are people, you know, is there something that happens men- mentally when people have too, too uh, little saturated fats? More recently, there's been a, the largest ever observational study called the PURE study, P-U-R-E. They found that the more saturated fats people ate, the lesser their risk for stroke. And they found this was a worldwide study that included data from um, dozens of countries. Um, and they definitely not did not find saturated fat to be harmful. There's been, there's, there's, so, so, and one of the arguments that's just been made in a really interesting recent paper on saturated fats um, that came out for people who actually were going to go look these things up in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, that paper said the, the, that one of the important re- reasons that you should eat saturated fats is not for the fats themselves, although we can talk later that there are benefits that are seen in saturated fats, but because they come in foods that contain a lot of nutrients and that those nutrients are in their form that we're most able to digest. So, you know, what are nutrient rich foods? Well, where they, you know, that dairy has a, is, is full of nutrients and, and so, is, so are meats and so our eggs are full of nutrients and they're all on the yolk where the cholesterol is. Um, and so you, or, or another example the paper gave was um, dark chocolate. Um, so you don't wanna miss out on eating these foods which are very nutrient dense. Um, and again, I can't emphasize how important it is to get those nutrients in the natural food matrix in which they exist, because it turns out your body has a much better chance of absorbing them then. Like you can get iron from fortified grain, but you know, in your breakfast cereal, but you won't, you, there are many people who can't absorb their iron that way, or, or even from an iron supplement. I know because when I was vegetarian, I was anemic and I was always taking iron supplements and thinking, why is my iron not going up? Because for many people, it's just better to absorb that in the food matrix in which it exists. Um, I can I make one other point? Of course. No, <laughs> the, one of the, the one other point about saturated fats that is, I think, in it's uh, a positive thing to say about it. And when people say, well, saturated fat may not be bad for you, but is it good for you? Well, Another reason that saturated fats may be considered good for you is that they really are the only food that is known to raise your HDL cholesterol, which is your good cholesterol. So you go to your doctor and your doctor says your HDL is really low and you say, well, how do I raise it? And he says, well, you can get, you know, exercise helps a little red wine, maybe helps a little, but what will really raise your saturated, what will really raise your HDL is to eat more saturated fats. Um, probably in a good idea and in combining that with, with bringing down your carbohydrates as well. But um, so there is quite a lot of evidence that saturated fats do not cause harm. Um, And, you know, my argument is saturated fats are natural. They exist in natural ancient foods. And if you've, if you've thrown them in jail as we, they've been in jail for the past 60 years, and if you can't find them guilty, you know, you, you try everything you can, you try the DNA test, you try testing them, you can't find any, if you can't find them to be guilty, then you should let them out of jail. Interesting. charged. They've been tested and tried, but they are not guilty. Good point. Again, folks, I know, that, I know this may be challenging some of your beliefs right now, but this is what the show is all about. It's to look at different sides, different perspectives, 
And I tell you, she did a very good job in breaking down these studies because a study, again, just for you folks to understand, a study is just a snapshot. It's just a piece of the puzzle. You do more and more studies to get more of that puzzle filled up and get more of an answer. Uh, studies are not the end all. They're not absolute. So as you get more and more studies done on a particular topic, the more you can understand it and see how it works because you're going to have samples are going to change. Methodologies are going to be different. A lot of different variables are going to be at play. But let me go back to uh, Nina again. You know what, Nina, one of the things that interested me too is it's, I think if I remember correctly, you also highlighted the fact about cholesterol and cholesterol in the eggs. I think you went after that because I have seen that, which is fascinating before. Am I correct on that? Well, remember that Ansel Keys's hypothesis originally was that it was saturated fat in cholesterol that you eat that was caught, that would cause a heart attack, right? Um, those are two, yeah. those are, so cholesterols, and that's why we stopped eating shellfish. Uh, that's why we stopped, well, we started having egg white omelets because you would avoid the yolk in the egg. And if people who ate liver stopped eating liver, that, um, but, cause that's also high in cholesterol. Well, over the years, um, it was, you know, that was tested. And as you, you say, you make a good point. Like it's, it's not just one experiment. You have to test, you have to test and retest. I mean, science really requires replication. You have to be able to find it. And there was many, many tests on dietary cholesterol and they really couldn't find that the amount of cholesterol you ate correlated with the amount of cholesterol in your blood. Um, you know, cholesterol is in every cell of your body and you really need it to function. It helps make all your hormones, your, your, um, your sex hormones, it helps your brain function well. And, and, and it's, it's like, it's in every cell of your body. How could it be bad for you <laughs> if it's something that, that we, we need in every single one of our cells? But what they found is it didn't matter how much you ate. Your, your body had a way of keeping its cholesterol level um, steady. It's, it's this concept called homeostasis. Like if you get too hot, you sweat. That's homeostasis because your body wants to stay at a constant temperature. Um, and it's the same with cholesterol. If you eat a lot, you don't make a lot. You know, your body can make its own cholesterol. So if you don't eat very much, your body makes its own cholesterol. So it keeps it at a constant level. And so actually in Europe, the caps on cholesterol, this advice to reduce your cholesterol most European countries dropped that idea in the 1980s and on. I mean, they got it pretty early. And in the US, because maybe because the idea had been born here and we so believed in it, but it, it turns out that now the two main authorities that give us our health advice, which is the US Dietary Guidelines and the American Heart Association, they have dropped their advice to cap cholesterol. So they no longer tell you to limit your cholesterol. It is no longer a nutrient of concern um, to them. And that means, you know, you can eat whole omelets with the whole egg in them. And again, as I said, you know, where are the nutrients in the egg, the nutrients that you need for brain health, eye health, they're all in the yolk. Um, shellfish are also, just going back to this idea of, the, of important nutrients, shellfish have tons of nutrients, especially like clams and oysters and all those things that I never ate because I thought were bad for me. But, you know, we should, part of the way we should be thinking about eating is something that's very foreign to us, but used to be in, in, you know, 80 years ago, it used to be a much more common notion, this idea of eating for, to get the nutrients you need to support your health. 
your health and reproduction. What did you need? Like, what do you, how do you get your B vitamins and your A vitamin, your this and your that? And what are the foods that you need to eat in order to get all those nutrients into your body? Turns out your body doesn't function very well if you're not getting all the nutrients that you need and enough protein to keep your muscles strong. And so um, it used to be that we, we thought that way about eating. And I think it's a good way to think, like, don't waste your time on empty nutrients, like try to eat to get all the, you know, nutrient dense foods, that's really going to give you what you need. Good advice. By the way, folks, you can also look at another interview we did with Dr. Steffi Cohen. She's a personal trainer and a doctor. Um, you can see that interview and she talks really similar to what Nina is saying here. And I'm not giving medical advice, but I'm giving you different perspectives. So you can look at different things and uh, make your own decisions. But uh, Dr. Steffi Cohen, you can see that on our playlist or all our live interviews. And she talked a little bit about that too. Don't worry so much about what you're eating. Eat a certain amount of it, whatnot. Um, she kind of kind of discusses that a little bit in our last show. So Nina, another thing that you highlighted, because I find it fascinating too, the dietary guidelines. And I don't know, but folks, you might have heard of something called lobbyists. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure we all have. Uh, they seem to play quite a bit of a role when it came to guidelines. And um, I remember meeting, I think it wasn't even in your book. I remember reading something about the meat industry when they got upset that they were put up way high in the pyramid. And they're like, well, but wait a minute, wait a minute, we, we, we want to get lower. And they spend millions of dollars trying to drop themselves down. But other individuals have done the same thing. Uh, what, is, what surprises did you find when you were looking at dietary guidelines, politics, and the works? Yeah. Well, I want to just say one thing to your listeners who might think, who cares about the dietary guidelines? Like, I, I would never, I don't care what the government says. And I want to just emphasize how much they affect you because, you know, the school, the the food, your school, your, if you go to the hospital, the, the, the food that's fed to you, maybe your elderly parent or grandparent in a nursing home, the food that's in the military. I mean, the food that your doctor tells you to eat, all of that is kind of downloaded from the guidelines. So, you know, most people, people might remember it as the food pyramid or it's now my plate, but it's all, it's the source of all nutrition education in schools and in medical schools. So they have a very pervasive effect in, in America. Um, they also influence everything that the food industry decides to make um, because they want to be compliant with the guidelines. And it's true that it's not just the meat industry, but like every industry is very much involved in lobbying those guidelines. I mean, I've spent a little bit of time in Washington now, and I'm just astonished that like the, the government agency that, you know, hosts that puts out the guidelines called the U S department of agriculture, they will have these sort of quote unquote listening sessions. And I was invited to one and they looked, I looked around the table and like every single person there was from the food industry. And I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, oh, and here's the soybean association and there's the corn growers and there's the, you know, the fruits and vegetables people and there's the fake meat companies. And then there, it's just, it was mind boggling to me. Um, so I think that, you know, what we end up with in our guidelines is there's just no doubt that um, that they're influenced by the food industry. And, and it, it's true that there's, there's, I think the strongest kind of notion idea out there is that it's the meat industry that is really controlling everything. But, you know, if you look at the food pyramid, you know, for those of you who remember it, I mean, what is that big, big, huge bottom slab of it? It's all 
you know, breads and pasta and um, wheat and grains and cereals. I mean, if anybody's winning, it's those industries, those big mega crop industries. And, 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 you know, we are, we're still recommended to eat six servings of grains every day, including half of them as refined grains and up to 10% of our calories is sugar. Wow. Well, that's, you know, if you have any kind of metabolic issue, um, like diabetes or overweight or heart disease or hypertension, that really is, that is really not a, a very healthy diet for you. Um, but those industries have succeeded in, in keeping themselves kind of in a lion's share of, of the food that we're supposed to be eating according to these guidelines. Um, when they started, it was even worse. It was just like eat 11 slices of white bread a day. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of pulled back from that a little bit. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it's funny because they do pull back and they change their minds on certain foods and all of a sudden... Uh, we mentioned before eggs. Now they're changing their mind. Uh, they change their mind on whole milk compared to non-fat milk. That flipped around. Well, I'm no, not, sure. not quite. They haven't. No, they still recommend low-fat dairy. Oh, do they have low-fat dairy? So low-fat dairy. dairy. Yeah, I mean the the complete um, the com the complete shift in the way Americans eat now. There's a, just a tremendous boost, a turn towards whole milk, as you say, but also like a tremendous increase in the amount of butter that people are now consuming mm. instead of margarine. Margarine's been going down for for quite a while now. That's because people are um, well. They're all reading my book. No, <laughs> no, I mean. There's a changing zeitgeist out there about fat and, you know, is fat bad for health? Is the fat you eat the fat you get? No, it really isn't. And it turns out that adding fat to your foods makes them more satiating, meaning you fill up on, you fill up better and then you're not hungry again. And so you don't overeat. You know, if you have eggs for breakfast and butter, um, you aren't going to be hungry again until maybe early afternoon. Whereas if you have a breakfast of cereal, you know, shredded wheat with non-fat milk, you will be hungry pretty soon, pretty mid morning. They'll, you'll start to get hunger cravings again. So there, there really is this real reconsideration about fat. One of its, one of its um, benefits being that it, it helps people keep stay satiated and, and not get hungry. You know, that's the amazing thing. And, and, you know, we have a lot of people joining us right now. If you folks, if you have any questions for Nina on her book at all, please let us know. Again, it's the book, The Big Fat Surprise. You can catch it on Amazon.com, White Butter, Meat, and Cheese, Belonging to a Healthy Diet. Thank you very much, Missy, as well, for bringing in your listeners. Um, she mentioned she lost a lot of weight in a particular supplement, Okinawa, and through exercising. Exercising is another big thing that people can benefit from. Uh, Nina, in the last few minutes here, before we get ready to wrap up, um, what's your biggest takeaway that you want people to understand in regards to this? Well, I think not fearing fat is probably one of the most important things. Uh, do not fear fat does not make you fat. Uh, fat will actually help make you thin. Um, so adding fat to your diet is a beneficial thing to do. And I would flip around the conception of good fat and bad fats. I think good fats are actually saturated fats because they're stable. They don't oxidize. They don't cause inflammation. Whereas I would be cautious about using vegetable oils that we've, you know, soybean, um, safflower, corn oil, which, um, are highly unstable and do oxidize, especially when heated. So 
I, I consider those the bad fats um, because they, you know, inflammation, oxidation causes inflammation. And I don't, th and that's clearly not healthy. So, and that also means don't fear those foods that contain saturated fats that we're told are bad for health, but they, um, you know, there, there really is no reason not to have full fat dairy and, and red meat for health reasons. There is no finding that these are bad for health. That's a fascinating read again, folks. Thank you so much, Nina, for being here. I know you got to run. Um, so do I. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to highlight the websites right now for Nina Teicholz. You can go again to Nina Teicholz, T-E-I-C-H-O-L-Z.com. Also at nutritioncoalition.us. Before we take off, folks, just to make sure you realize it, we're not going to be here next week. We're taking the week off next week for Thanksgiving, but we do want you to know what's coming up the week after. Uh, Del Wibber is coming on November 30th, Monday. He's going to be a former CIA operative. He's going to tell us about his experiences in Dubai, what happened over there, and what he learned. In addition to that, Abigail Manning is going to be here coming to talk to us about cognitive distortions. On Wednesday, December 2nd, uh, uh, Mr. Moresco will be here to talk about his new book. On Thursday, Dr. Larry Young talking about the science of attraction. Uh, he's a neuroscientist from Northwestern, I believe, if I remember correctly. And then Andy Brangle, former FBI profiler, will come on to talk about the top 10, his new top 10 list. So I'm excited to hear what he's got to say about that. And for the rest of the month, Lots of great guests, CIA, secret societies, uh, the pagan world and the Romans. And where did we get Christmas from? A lot of fun stuff coming up in the next month. Thank you so much again, Nina, for being here. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. And thanks for letting me talk to your listeners. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Remember, you can find all about our podcast down below. You can check out our other live shows on our playlists as well. And that'll wrap us up for today. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great weekend. And if you're celebrating Thanksgiving, have a great holiday. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should, too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.